Love you, Brother Weeks. Praise the Lord, everybody. Aren't you glad to be in God's house tonight? To feel what you feel, be enjoying what you're enjoying. The freedom that we have in this place to worship God. I've just felt liberty in this service from the very get-go tonight. From the first note all the way until this point, there's just been a great liberty of worship. And my, what preaching we've already heard. I just felt like getting up and saying ditto. Let everybody go and eat and fellowship. And uh, I appreciate Brother Austin Peters and what I heard here tonight. I've been strengthened and encouraged by that. I appreciate young men that uh, love the word of the Lord and are dedicated to God's service and have given their life to the ministry. That's refreshing to me. You know, as he was standing up here, I always, when I came in the office tonight, I look at these guys as peers. I really do. I just look at them as, as peers and contemporaries and around the same age and everything. He said he was 21 years old. I got a son older than that, and I got a son that it just turned 21 years old. And I thought, my gracious, I'm getting old. <laughs> but if I can keep fooling all you guys, it'd be okay. As long as they keep having me preach a few of these youth meetings that make me feel young anyway. And uh, it's always a pleasure to be with this group and fellowship of people. I appreciate Brother and Sister Weeks, and it's Abigail's birthday today. Happy birthday, doll. You know, my wife probably wouldn't even came with me if it hadn't been for Sister Abigail's birthday. She said, I'm going. And uh, so my wife and Chanel is along with me, and I appreciate them coming with me this time. And uh, I appreciate this family, such a talented Family, uh, I'm telling you, five talent people. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like that mule that was put in the Kentucky Derby running with these guys. But anyway, I, I love them very much. Uh, Brother Weeks was just with us in our church and preached a youth conference that we're a part of and then came home with me and preached and and uh, I appreciated his ministry so much, and I can certainly identify with Brother Harrelson that, uh, you know, can't do that too often. <laughs> we'll have to find another place of employment. But uh, he's such a great preacher, and I'm always encouraged and inspired by my friendship with Brother Weeks. It's also good to see these other brethren here, some I know very well, Brother Townley, a very dear friend of mine, and Brother Harrelson. As already has been mentioned, a very dear friend of ours. And uh, all of these other brothers, it's good to see Brother Bass here. And uh, it's good to see Brother Campbell, Brother Johnson. I honor you, appreciate you very much. You and your family, a good wife. And uh, Brother Johnson, we love you and appreciate you. We've got Johnson and Johnson here tonight. So we're, we're glad to be in God's house. Anybody got a little bit more church left in them tonight? Praise the Lord. Lovely room, lovely room, had to get a forklift to get that basket off the countertop, but we managed to do it, and uh, we'll probably manage to eat it too, so, and I appreciate all of that, I'm very comfortable, and I'm very glad uh, to have this opportunity to be here with you, 
Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles tonight, we'll get into the Word of the Lord. First Kings chapter number one. First Kings chapter number one. And then let me read just a portion from chapter two. Read a few verses here in First Kings chapter number one. Wherefore Nathan spake unto Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Hast thou not heard that Adonijah, the son of Agath, doth reign? And David, our Lord, knoweth it not. Now therefore come, let me, I pray thee, give thee counsel, that thou mayest save thine own life and the life of thy son Solomon. Go and get thee in unto King David, and say unto him, Didst thou not, my lord, O king, swear to thine handmaiden, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall set upon my throne. Notice this. Why then doth Adonijah reign? Why then doth Adonijah reign? And I want to preach tonight from this subject, Why does Adonijah reign? Why does Adonijah reign? I want to read one portion here of a verse. It would be good if we could read several verses in chapter 2. But let's just read the first verse here. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son. We understand what's going on here. One generation is succeeding another. And the previous generation is passing the baton of authority and his kingdom on to his son. And there's a lot of challenges that are taking place. But yet this young man is called. This young man is ordained. The hand of God, the favor of God at this point is upon his life. It is the will of God that he step in and reign in David's stead and be the ruler and king over all of Israel. Can I tell you that there's some things that God has ordained for you as a young person, as an apostolic young person that's been born again of water and of spirit. Come on, am I in the right building tonight? That has the name of Jesus upon you. Amen. That is living a committed and dedicated life unto God. There's some areas that the Lord wants you to take authority in. There's some areas that the Lord wants you to rule in. There's some areas that you need to have dominance in in your life. So I want to ask you a question. Why is it that Adonijah reigns? That's not the will of God. And so we're going to deal with some things here tonight. Is that okay? Why don't you lift up your hands and your voices along with me. And let's pray for the Lord's help tonight. Jesus, we need you. We need your strength. We need your anointing and power. I pray, God, that you would speak in this congregation tonight to these great young people. Challenge us. Bless and move and minister in this house. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' mighty name. Could you take just a little time right now? I know we've been worshiping, but I think we ought to lift up our voice and really worship God.
Come on, why don't you give him your best praise? Hallelujah. Come on, let's glorify him and praise him and worship him in this house tonight. There's no telling what God is going to do in this place in the next few moments. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated if you're going to help the man of God preach tonight. Many things could be said about this very charismatic and flagrant figure that I'm talking about in the Word of God. This man by the name of Solomon. Many things could be said about his personality, the characteristics that drove him and made him such a powerful figure in the Scripture, as well as his kingdom and his reign. Solomon is considered the wisest man that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. And we're still gleaning many nuggets of wisdom from his writings in the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. He presided over the construction of the great temple that we read so much about in the Old Testament, which was described to be exceedingly magnifical. The queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, had heard of the glory and heard of all of the kingdom that Solomon reigned over. And we know that she came from afar, the scripture said. And she made her journey. And she saw the wealth. And she saw all of the enemies that had been subdued. She saw all the great things that had happened and transpired in his kingdom. How that Solomon's wisdom was marked. His house was uh, built and the temple was a magnificent place. She saw the meat of his table, the setting of his servants, the attendance of his ministers. And I like this. She saw his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. I think it ought to be a marked difference the way that apostolics go to church and the way everybody else goes to church. People of this world ought to see a difference when it comes church time at your church and your attitude towards the house of God. Your attitude towards going to the place of worship. Your attitude towards your church in general. Amen. Matter of fact, there ought to be a radiance about you when you come to the house of God. That you look forward to the opportunity to have in the presence of the Lord to be able to worship Him and to experience His glory. Aren't you thankful to be here tonight? And she, she made this statement. She said, I have heard all the rumors and it's been told me all the stories, but the half was not told me. And there was no breath that was left in her. Solomon's kingdom was very great in wealth. And we also know that he reigned in what was known as a time of peace. There was no wars. There was no battles. There was no skirmishes. There was total dominance. So it begs the question, what was it that brought about this prosperity and this very apparent blessing from the Lord that was upon this young man Solomon? What brought Solomon to this place of dominance where all of his enemies were subdued. 
peace abounded in the land. And there was rest on every side. I realize that there's probably many factors that could be elaborated on here tonight that were involved in bringing this to pass. First of all, the influence of a godly father by the name of David. And we know that David towers above all the rest in the Old Testament. A man that was after God's own heart. And one could not minimize the influence that he had upon his son early on. And how that watching this godly example and this man in his love for the things of the Lord and what an influence that it had had upon David's life. And I could speak to young people here tonight that has probably had that same privilege of having parents, a godly father, a godly mother that lives for the Lord faithfully is an example before you that is a person that loves God that loves their church, that loves their pastor. Oh, that cannot be minimized tonight. We need to underscore that. Thank God for parents that live for the Lord. Thank God for parents that teach their children by example how to worship. Teach their children by example how to love the man of God. How to be loyal to the church. It's a great blessing to live and be raised in a godly apostolic home. And if you don't appreciate that, you should appreciate that. If you don't value that, you should value that. Amen. You cannot really put the proper appraisal on good godly parents that love the Lord and the power and the influence that that has in a young person's life. But not only was, was David a great father and a great, uh, a great parent and a man that loved God, a man of prayer and a man that sought the things of God, but he was also the king. He was also a great leader, arguably one of the greatest leaders, if not the greatest leader of all of Israel. So we know the part that this had in Solomon's upbringing. A man that was a strong leader that was anointed of God. Could I just stand up for a few moments in defense of pastors here tonight? If you've got a good man of God in your life, if you've got a pastor that preaches you the truth, oh, come on now. If you've got a pastor that fears God and preaches the word of the Lord, you got a man of God that carries a burden for your family and your life and prays for you, preaches to you, you ought to appreciate him. You ought to reverence him. You ought to respect him. Amen. I thank God for the man of God that the Lord has called and placed into my life. We could also talk tonight about the impact that Solomon's prayer life had in the early days. And you understand I'm focusing on the early years of Solomon's life. And we could talk about his prayer life. I read about it in Second Chronicles chapter number 1. And also we see it in chapter 7 at the dedication of the temple. And you talk about sacrificing unto God 22,000 oxen and 120 sheep. That's a whole lot of worship. That's a whole lot of sacrificing before God. But evidently God liked it. Because the glory came down and flooded the temple. Till the priest was not able to minister. 
it'd be all right with me if the glory of the Lord just came down in this room for a little while tonight. And we'd get so intoxicated, so under the influence of the Spirit of God, that we'd stagger out of this place encouraged and inspired like never before to live for the Lord and to serve God and to be more for God in 2016 than we've ever been. Praise God. This is a young man that said, Lord, I want to come to you humbly. I know that you've called me to a great task. And and I'm just like a child that doesn't know how to go out or to come in. And if I'm going to succeed at what you called me to, then I'm going to need your anointing. I'm going to need your guidance. I'm going to need direction from you. I'm going to need your help. Can I tell you young people here tonight unequivocally that if you're going to succeed in living for God, you're going to have to have that same attitude, that same spirit. That says, God, I'm relying upon you. I'll be obedient to you. I'll listen to you. I'll receive correction when I need to receive correction. My heart is open to whatever you want to do in my life. But God, I need you. I can't make it without you. I can't live successfully in this world and make heaven without your help. God, I need you every day. And if you'll learn how early on to practice in the presence of the Lord praying and seeking the face of God. God will help you through every obstacle. God will be there for you through every problem. Oh yes he will. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You proved it. You know it to be so. Yet as I read through this story in the beginning chapters and pages of First Kings There was some definite decisions and plans that were carried out that affected not only Solomon, but the future of Israel. David is an ailing old man, and he realizes that he doesn't have long to live. He's not long for this world. And so he takes his son Solomon, and he gives to him in chapter 2 some very certain instructions. And he tells him that there is some folks that you're going to have to deal with. No matter how effective and no matter how faithful and no matter how consecrated and committed the previous generation was. It just goes to show you that there's always unfinished business. And when the next generation comes along, there's some things that you've got to fight for. As our theme tonight is contending for the faith. Can I tell you, I am appreciative of every old time preacher man that stood up for this truth in generations gone by. I'm thankful for every trailblazer. I'm thankful for every man of God that precedes me in preaching this gospel and loving this message. Thank you for making it a little bit easier. But if you think we can coast from here on out, you've got the wrong idea about things. That's right. You're going to have to make up your mind that I am going to get the same commitment and the same fervency and have the same passion for truth that the previous generation had. Praise God. Praise. Because I do not believe it's the will of God that we lose momentum. 
as each generation takes up the mantle. I don't believe that it's the will of God that we fall behind in any area. I do not believe that the word of God tells us or reveals to us that we are going to come up deficient in the end time in any area that the Lord has planned for the church. But if there ever has been anointing, there ought to be anointing in 2016. If there ever has been young people that love truth, there ought to be in 2016. If there's ever been worship, there ought to be in this hour. If there's ever been fervent prayer, there ought to be in this hour. If there's ever been faithfulness and loyalty, there ought to be loyalty and faithfulness in this hour. Oh, let, let me just take a moment and get on one of my candy sticks. But I'm going to tell you, there's people that will be loyal to a lot of things. Can I tell you that the church shouldn't be down on your loyalty list somewhere? It should be at the top of your list. But I'm loyal to my family. What about your church? I'm loyal to my job. I take it seriously. What about your church? Come on now, you young people, you're beating out paths. You're blazing trails that you're going to walk the rest of your life. You might as well make the habit right now. Nothing's standing in the way of me. And being faithful to the house of God and being loyal to the church that God has planted me in. Praise God. Praise God. He said, I want you to carry. There's some unfinished business here. There's some things that I want you to continue with, Solomon. David said, Solomon, before you'll experience complete dominion, which is the will of God for your life, that there is three things that you're going to have to deal with. There's few, three funerals that you're going to have to have. Three spirits that, that have to die. Three things that you've got to overcome. You've been called. Nobody can question your calling. Oh, you've been anointed. Nobody can question your anointing. You've been favored. Nobody can question the hand of God upon your life. But you still will face these three things. And you're going to have to deal with them. And this is going to be crucial to you completely having dominance. And receiving all that you desire. And being all that you're called to be in the kingdom. First of all, now you can stand or sit down. And I'm going to preach this a little while. Is that okay? The first, the first thing, the first thing that you're going to confront is Adonijah. Now this was Solomon's older brother. Adonijah saw a moment of vulnerability here. An opening for a possibility that he could take control, that he could be in power. Adonijah wanted to insert his will into this situation. Can I tell you that there's pivotal points in all of our lives that the devil will try to take advantage of? I'm going to talk about it tonight. Every person lives through times of transition. That the devil would try to step in and take advantage of you in that particular moment. That's right. The enemy always is looking for an opportunity to take dominion. He wants to take control. 
He, he wants to dominate. He wants to be in power. He wants to challenge God's authority in your life. That's right. So there's transitional times in all of our lives. Some of it's just, just, just a part of our makeup. It's just a part of growing up. There's transitional times that we face and that we go through. Some of them, I'm glad I'm already through that time of my life. Amen. Now, all you older folks, you can identify. You're glad you're through all of that awkward stage that you went through. How many remembers what it was like to be a teenager? Now, some of you are going to have to go way back. But I bet you, you could try and you, you'd probably succeed tonight in remembering that adolescent period. Uh, that's a period of transition between childhood and adulthood. And your body is maturing faster than your mind is. Quite a time of, of transition that has taken place. And Adonijah, during this time, he, he got to listening to the wrong voices and being influenced by the wrong people. And they told him, you deserve to be king. Oh, you, you don't need to be a second man. You don't need to listen to Solomon. I mean, after all, uh, regardless of what they say, you, you're the man. And you don't have to listen to them. And he got to listening to the wrong voices. Being influenced by the wrong voice. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta be very careful about the voices that you listen to. The writer said there are many voices and none are without significance. Come on, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talking heads in our world today. There's a lot of pontificators in our world today. And a psychology professor, I, I walked into her class. I could tell this was going to be a long semester when I met her. And she, she was registered cart carrying liberal, if you know what I'm talking about. And she pressed the envelope every, every church or every class, not church, my God, every class period. I mean, just pressed the envelope. Came in one day and was bragging about attending a same-sex marriage ceremony. If that is even something that uh, should be acknowledged. And she said, you know, the thing that really struck me about this, and she said it with a smirk on her face, not knowing that she had an apostolic preacher sitting there on the front row, she said, the thing that strikes me about this is the fact that one of that couple... Their parents were Pentecostal. And I think it was very courageous of them to follow through with what they did. And I mean, it ran all over me, as you can imagine. I said, Dr. Gardner, with all due respect, anybody as educated as you ought to know that it takes a whole lot more courage to be an apostolic in the 21st century than it does to be that. Come on, you got to watch which voices that you're listening to. I don't care how many letters they got behind their name. When it comes to God's word, when it comes to this Bible, they're not the experts. You're a man of God's the expert. I said, don't let them speak to you about the things of God. Allow the anointed man of God that's been placed in your life to talk to you from God's word. But 
there's a transition that's taking place. And how many times do we see kids that, that are living for God fervently and red hot for the things of God and loving the truth and loving the church and good kids that pray through early in life and then they hit those stumbling years of being a teenager and it's awkward and there's a lot of things going on in their life and they're challenged and they're self-conscious about things and and all of a sudden a lot of things come to mind and, and there's a lot of questioning and there's a war that's going on between their ears. Can I just preach to you a little bit? That's when Adonijah wants to take over. That's when that spirit of hell wants to step in. That transitional pivotal time in your life between childhood and adulthood. That years called adolescence. That's when the devil wants to take his throne. That's when he wants to get dominion over you. But I got news for him. Come on. I got a message for the devil here tonight. There's some young people in Lake Park that had their mind made up. I'm not just going to be living for God as I'm 11, 12, 13 years old, but I'm going to live for God more fervently up through my teenage years. When I'm 19, I'm still going to be living for God. I'm going to be further along when I turn 21 than I was when I entered into my adolescent years. Come on, I got a question for you tonight. Why does Adonijah reign? Somebody needs to take dominion over that spirit tonight. That spirit that questions. That that spirit that wars in your mind. You know what your experience is in God. You can argue with a whole lot of things, but you can't argue with an experience with God. If you got an experience with God, that trumps everything. You know, I wish I wish I could say it stops there, but I got to looking around tonight. We got more than just young people here, so I guess they're fair game too. We got this thing called midlife crisis. All them young people saying "Amen" now. All of a sudden, I don't want to drive that minivan no more. I want a Corvette. I, I want to get me a, a Harley Davidson. And I'm not preaching against any of that. If you got the money, I got the time. Praise God. But sometimes this is a symptom of a spirit that's trying to step in. And a questioning. And Adonijah is trying to take the throne. Kind of dying down here, Brother Johnson. Kind of dying down. Praise God. But I'm here to tell you, you, you don't have to get to a certain point or certain age and decide, well, you know, I've given a lot of my life to the church and I've been, I figure I can kind of coast the rest of the way out. I, I figure I can just kind of, I can kind of get by on less prayer than I used to pray and less church attendance than I used to get by. The devil is a liar. You better get Adonijah back where he belongs. 
now. <laughs> you know, midlife, and then and then you think, man, you get you get past all of that, and you, you get on those elderly years, and and that's just the the years where you in the rocking chair and you can sip tea, and you don't have to worry about the devil no more. You just kind of made it over the hump. Oh yeah, I was twenty nine years old. Can you imagine? Twenty nine years old when I became the pastor in Texarkana. My pastor told me, he said, you're learning to pastor up there. And he said, there's a lot of people that's going to be willing to teach you. (laughs) And you know what? He was telling me the truth. And so there was an elderly gentleman, I suppose the longest standing member in our church that was still alive. And he was up in his 80s and his wife passed and I preached her funeral. Just not long after I came to Texarkana. And... And uh, Brother Tommy was his name. He was a decorated man from World War II. Had, had uh, got a bronze star and a purple heart. I mean, was quite a war hero, a great guy, faithful guy to the church. A lot of folks in the church looked up to him. But you know, the devil never takes a break. He never gives up. And when his wife passed, I mean, every widow in the world came out of the woodwork. <laughs> Just wanting to walk the mall with him. And the kids, boy, they was in a tizzy. Came over, Pastor Calhoun, you gotta talk to him, you gotta do something to him. You gotta calm him down, he's gonna make a mistake. Am I making anybody uncomfortable? So I, I called my pastor. What I do? He said, well son, there's no fool like an old fool. He said, you just have to talk to him. So I'll never forget, I drove out to his house, picked him up for lunch, and, and took him out. And boy, he was all about that free lunch. And ordered up. He was eating, he was comfortable, he was laughing, and I was over there shuffling my food around 29. He's old enough to be my grandpa. I'm shuffling that food around, I'm worried, sick. Finally, we get back in the car, and I said, well, it's now or never. <coughs> I said, Elder, got a little something to bring up. I said, we've had pretty good fellowship so far. I hope we can continue. I said, uh, but let me just talk to you about, about you. And you've, you've, you've ran a long ways in this race. And for you to get down here at the end with so many people looking at you as an example and to make an error, a mistake, or drop the baton, or fall out of the race now, that'd be a tragedy. He said, I know exactly what you're talking about. And he said, I'll take care of it. And I never had to worry about it again. And I just preached this funeral 91 years old just, just a year ago. And I could stand in that pulpit and speak over his life knowing that he was a saint of God. That he was a man that said, you know what, every prayer meeting, I'm going to be there. Every time the church doors are open. His later years, they had to bring him on a walker. But he was there in the house of God, committed to the church all the way to the end. Adonijah never wears down. He never stops. But if you will determine in your heart, we're going to have dominion and authority all the way through. He said, you're going to have to deal with Adonijah. The second individual that you're going to have to deal with, you're going to have to deal with Joab. 
Now, there's two things that I noticed about the personality of Joab. There's two things regarding him that, that stand out to me. First of all, he had an unhealthy appetite for competition. That's right. Second Samuel chapter 2, he said to his counterpart Abner at the time, he said to him, he said, let's let the young men get up and play and let's, let's be entertained by them fighting. And no doubt it was his desire for competition that spurred this on. And I understand in the right context that competition is a good thing. But when it gets out of hand, it can be a bad thing. And people can get hurt. Ahishel lost his life because of someone's over passion and desire for competition. This was Joab's own brother. And and I see sometimes somebody says, well, uh, I know what you're talking about. On the, I'm not talking about the basketball court. I'm talking about an attitude and spirit of competition that can get in a youth group. That's right. Well, is that a Louis Vuitton purse? Is, is, that, is that real? That probably ain't real. I, I got a real, but I don't think hers is real. Shows up to the basketball court, got a new pair of Jordans on. Where do you get the money for that? I don't get to a spirit of competition. And that attitude, it does not unite, it divides. Come on, we can get a whole lot more done together than we can apart. And if there's anything the devil fears, it's unity and togetherness. When they were in one accord, the Bible said suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. Praise God. Praise God. And the second thing that I noticed about this man, Joab, was that he had trouble forgiving. He could carry a grudge. Oh, he could hold things against people. I'm going to just tell you something. It don't pay to be petty. That elder brother standing outside the house could have been enjoying the celebration and the party, but he's being petty because he feels like that his younger brother doesn't deserve all of that. Oh, you could be joining in. You could be celebrating too. You could be happy too. If you wasn't petty about it. It doesn't pay to be petty. It doesn't pay to carry a grudge against somebody. Come on, I, I know, I, I pastor. If a church is going to operate, flourish, and be blessed, and have revival, there's going to be a lot of forgiveness between people that's going to have to take place. People's going to have to let things go. Things are going to happen. There's personality conflicts. I wish everybody's like me, but they're not. I wish everybody liked the same things I like, but they don't. you got to give, you got to give, a little bit of room for people to be themselves. And you got to give a little bit of room for them to admit and have an opportunity to make things right. Instead of rubbing the nose in it every time you come to church. Remember back there in 1996 when you done me wrong? Oh, come on now. <laughs> Having trouble forgiving. A good friend of ours, uh, Brother O.C. Marler, is talking about his 
his mother one time. He went home to visit her, and she lived uh, there in the country outside of Alexandria, Louisiana. And uh, he went home to visit her, and he had to fly out early the next morning. And he could tell by their little visitation that evening that there was something that was wrong. And he had heard from some other family members that his Aunt Joe had done something to his mother, and, and they were crossed at one another. And so he, would just, he, he wasn't going to broach the subject, so he was just going to wait for them to bring it up. And he sat and visited, and nothing was said. He went on to bed that night, got up the next morning real early to go out, was carrying his suitcase out the door, and his mother stopped him and said, Well, you know Aunt Joe done me wrong. He said, I put my suitcase down. He said, well, you want to talk about it? I said, yeah. He said, she did me wrong. And uh, I talked to her about it. And she admitted it. And she asked me to forgive her. And he said, well, what are you going to do about that? She said, well, I told her that I would if she'd just let me bring it up every once in a while. That's the way a lot of folks live. If I can just bring it up, and it's always at that appropriate moment when they want to bring it up. Come on, if you forgive, you got to let go. Conflicts in the youth group. Little petty things. Come on, we got something bigger we're involved in. This is about revival. This is God's kingdom. I can't be caught up in all of that pettiness. Uh, I want to be a part of the celebration and what God's doing. If God's restoring souls, uh, I want to be on the sidelines shouting somewhere. If God's giving somebody victory and blessing somebody else, I want to be rejoicing with them. Oh, yeah. Praise God. David said, Solomon, if you're going to succeed, you're going to have to put that unforgiving spirit to death. And Joab, he ran when he knew that the judgment had come down and Ben and I was coming with his sword to slay him. He ran into the house of God and grabbed hold of the horns of the altar and said, he won't slay me here in the presence of the Lord. But there's no better place for some things to die than in an altar. There's no better place for some things to be slain than in an altar. And when Ben and I came back and said, what shall I do? He said, fall on him right there in the altar. That's a good place for that spirit to die. It's right there on the altar. I'm going to tell you, if you got some things you need to get victory over, there's an altar where you can get victory over some things tonight. I think we ought to take a moment and worship the Lord. Somebody ought to give praise to God here tonight. It's going to die tonight. He said, you're going to have to deal with some things. You're going to have to deal with Ananijah. You're going to have to deal with Joab. But there's one more. You're going to have to deal with that young man by the name of Shimei. Yeah. You know about Shimei, how that David, when Absalom, his own son, led a rebellion against him to siege the city of Jerusalem. That it was Shimei. You know, there's always bandwagon people. When the momentum's going that way, they're with that. 
Amen. He, he kind of felt the shift in the momentum. So he said, I, I better get on the winning side here. Looks like David's packing up and leaving. So I, I'm going to put my loyalties with Absalom. And as David was leaving the city, not out of, not out of lack of courage, you understand. This is a man that has stood against lions and bears and giants. It wasn't a lack of courage, but it was his love for the city of Jerusalem that caused him to refrain from engaging in a fight. And he said, I'd rather leave this city as it is than to make it a war zone. I'm not going to tear it up. And so he's leaving the city. And they tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant. He said, no, you take it and put it back in its place. And if God wants to restore me, he'll restore me. And as he's leaving the city, this man by the name of Shimei is hurling stones at him and cursing him. And one of David's mighty men, he said, if you give me the opportunity, I go take his head off, David. You know, that's what we need. It's a, some Abishai's that make up their mind that, 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 that I'm not going to put up with some things. There, there's some things that I, I'm just not going to stand with. If you want to get on the fighting side of me, you just come against the church. You just come against the man of God. You just come against my preacher's wife. Yeah. He said, I'll take his head off, David, if you'll give me permission. David said, no, don't even bother him. He's not even worth the time. He said, let him curse. You don't have to listen. You don't have to be teased out by every little thing that the devil comes along with. You you don't have to give in to every little thing that happens. You don't have to yield to every little temptation. Let him curse. Some people say, well, I don't understand why you guys worship the way you worship and live the way you live and believe what you believe. And they make fun or they may mock. But I'm telling you, sometimes you just got to let them curse and go on in the will of God and let God take care of it. And so, and so David is in time restored back to the city. But it's different now. It's different now. Shimei comes back with his knees bowed. And he's wanting a little mercy now. But, but David tells Solomon as he's passing the crown to him, you're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to deal with that. Because there, there's a spirit involved with that. And so Solomon said, really, you deserve to die for what you did to my daddy. But I am going to show mercy to you. And as long as you live in the perimeters of Jerusalem, as long as you build a house here and make your life here and you stay here and you don't go outside the boundaries of Jerusalem, you can live, you can thrive, you can go on. But the moment that you cross the Brook Kidron, you're going to die. And you know, for a period of time, that was, that was great, that was fine. Until he felt secure in himself. And one day, something that he should have had control over. Something that he should have had mastery over. His slaves got away from him. And they crossed over into the land of the Philistines. And lured him to go over and retrieve them. Now you understand, this was something that he was to have control over. This was something he was to have dominion. This was something that he was to have mastery over. 
but he was so casual that he followed it over across the brook that was called Kidron. And I preach to you that there's certain things that, that are going to always try to lure you outside the protected bounds of the church. There's always going to be temptation. There's always going to be somebody that looks like they're prospering. There's always going to be somebody that's got a better way. There's always going to be a what would seem like at the moment a better offer. But I'm just going to tell you now, you give that a little time. And it's not going to look nearly as pretty or attractive as it does right now. That's right. That's right. Uh, most of you probably heard I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hunter by hobby. And, uh, and you probably heard about Cecil the lion over there in Zimbabwe. And all of the media hubbub that went on with that and all the environmentalists that got on the, on the bandwagon with it. But simply it was this. There was a man by the name of Palmer, a doctor, a dentist, that went up uh, or went to Africa and hired some guides uh, to kill a lion. And he wanted to do it legally. He bought the necessary uh, tags and, and, and went through the proper channels to get that done. And he did not know it, or he says that he did not know it that they were hunting near or just on the border of a wild game refuge where there was some very particular lions and what would be considered trophies. And one of them being Cecil the lion was there on that refuge. And he didn't know it beneath that, that big dark black mane was a collar. And they were monitoring the movements of that lion. And these men that he hired went and took a dead deer and they drugged that deer and let the blood trail uh, lead them off of the game refuge just, just beyond the borders of the game refuge and, and this lion, Cecil the lion came. I don't know how they got to naming lions but evidently they did and, and he, he, he followed that blood trail out beyond the borders of the game refuge. And this hunter was able to take him. That's a very interesting story. There's things that try to lure us and tempt us and get us to get outside the, the refuge that God has provided for us. But the most interesting thing that had to do with that story to me was the fact that Cecil had a brother that they named Jericho. And they said for weeks after Cecil had been taken, he had been killed, that Jericho could be seen marching around outside the borders of the refuge in areas that he had never been seen or spotted before. Why? Because he was looking for his brother. You might think that I'll go out and I'll do what I want to do and it won't affect nobody else. It won't have any implications. It, it won't influence anybody else, but that's just not so. I said, that's just not so. When you get outside the bounds of living right, it always influences somebody else. Come on. When you get sideways with the preacher, it always affects somebody else's attitude. When you come to church and say, well, tonight I'm just going to take a night off. I'm not going to worship tonight. It always affects somebody else's worship. When you decide I'm not going to go early for prayer, it always affects somebody else's prayer before church. 
I wonder if there's any young folks here tonight that said, I want to be a leader in God's kingdom. I want to do what God would have me to do. I want to step up to my calling. I want to take complete and full control in some areas of my life through the power of God. I, I want to be a good influence on what God's doing in the young people's group. Come on, let's love the Lord right now. Somebody praise Him with Solomon, musicians, would you please come? If you're going to have dominion, you're going to have to deal with that line-crossing spirit that's always wanting to test the borders, always want to step on the other side. Solomon could have argued, said, well, or Shimei could have argued, I'm just going out by nine, I'll be back by morning. I'm just going to go get some things that, that have gotten away from me, that some appetites and some desires and some things that I, I, I should have mastery over, some areas that I, that shouldn't be a problem, but suddenly they've gotten away from me and they've, they've lured me over the borders of where the blessing of God is and where the protection of God is and where the goodness of God is and where the favor of God is. I'm going to tell you there's safety in the church. I said there's protection in the church. This is a good place to be. In the bounds of godliness. In the bounds of the presence of God. In the borders of the church. That's where your life's blessed. That's where the goodness of God is. That's where, that's where real happiness is. Colossians 2 and 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we a lot of times stop there, and that's a powerful verse. But the Bible says this, not only is all of that complete in Him, but we are complete in Him. Everything that I need, I can find it in the church. Completeness is not found out there in the world. It's found in the church. Come on, joy is not found out there in the world. It's found in the church. I'm going to leave you with this. We read about that amazing miracle in Exodus 16. He said, six days, you go out there and you gather manna. Five days, you gather all that you need for that day. It's going to be there every morning. It's going to come with the dew. You go out and gather what you need for you and your family. Don't, don't take any more than what you need. On the sixth day, you take what you need for that day and for the Sabbath. And if you take even a little bit over, it's going to spoil. If you try to hoard it and save it back for the next day and, and get lazy and say, I'm not, I'm not going to prayer meeting today. I, I'm going to lay out this Sunday. It's going to breed worms and die and stink. But I'll give it to you every day. And that manna, that's a phenomenal miracle that you read about. That same manna that could perish in 24 hours. I read in another place in the Bible, they took a pot of that and placed it in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says that it was kept for generations. 
What's the difference? The Ark of the Covenant was typical of the presence of God. Can I tell you there's life-sustaining power in the presence of God? By staying plugged into the presence of God. By staying in tune with the Spirit of God. By staying in the church of the living God. I can thrive. I can grow. I can be what I need to be. This is my life source. This is where my strength comes from. Oh, come on, young person. Help me tonight. Is anybody realize the value and the power of being in the presence of the Lord? I wonder as we we prepare to leave this place tonight. I wonder before we leave if we could touch God and get in His presence just for a little while. And some folks would make up their minds before this altar service is over. Before I walk out of this building, there's some things that I'm going to deal with. There's some areas that I'm going to take dominion. There's some things that I'm going to conquer. There's some things that I'm going to wrestle down in the spirit. There's some things that I'm going to slay in the altar. There's some things that I'm going to overcome here tonight. I'm not going to let that take dominion over me. I'm not going to let that thing get a foothold. Adonijah, you don't belong on the throne. God's called me to this. God has blessed me for this moment. God has asked me to take up the baton. God wants me to do his work. God wants to take me further in his anointing. Is there young, any young people that's with me here tonight as they begin to sing? I wonder if you'd come to this altar. Say, God, I want to conquer some things. I want to get victory over some things. I want to overcome some things tonight. Hallelujah. Come on, reach out to God, young man. Reach out to God, young lady. Lift your hands to Him right now. Call on Him right now. With my whole heart, I'm going to love you. With my whole life, oh, 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 let me yes. Come on, let's reach out you. to Him. Oh, let the Holy Ghost move tonight. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe we've heard from heaven. a change in your life. With my whole heart, oh, you can leave with I'm a difference today. 